Are you ready, Ma? I'm ready, Erin. Let's go. Let's go to first, before we go anywhere. We're going to go to last week. Oh! I have some answers. (gasps) Follow-ups! I feel like there are, like, probably 69 out of 70 of our listeners already know about the ice situation. (laughs) And we're thinking, these two are the dumbest women. I still don't know. I still think it's a legitimately good question. Okay. Well, here's the answer. They harvest ice. And the ice comes from the Great Lakes. And it comes from ponds in the winter. And they cut it into chunks. And then they take it to underground places where they store it. And then it goes on trucks and ships and trains and such. But how do they keep it cool on the trucks and the trains? Well, um, like they found out, like in the old time icebox, it was lined with tin. And that helped retain the um, Oh, the, the so it was like insulated. Right. And so um, they did that when they transported it as well. So you mean to tell me that all those kids that are eating the ice chips that come from the ice are just eating pond and lake water? Yep. And this is during the Industrial Revolution where, like, companies are just willy-nilly putting chemicals into said pond and lakes? Mr. DuPont. Yep. No wonder we're all so messed up. <laughs> we and they just they little said, children eating lead chips. Yeah, even in well, they were eating it from the paint anyway. Even like in uh, Jamestown, the 1620s, they found underground ice, um, ice caves or ice storage, where they would keep it underground. That was before tin, of course. But they, if you kept it underground, it kept cold longer. So interesting. I know. I know. Hmm. Yeah, so that, it wasn't like a, oh my God, but it was a, wow, I guess that totally makes sense. And you could buy it by, did you want, by the size of the block that you wanted to cut in. Hmm. I also investigated the World's Fair. The last um, World's Fair to be in the United States was sixty four, sixty five. Oh, where was that? Like in Houston or something? No, I think it was New York. Oh. And and there are still World's Fairs. We just don't think it's that big a deal anymore. <laughs> just like, excuse us. Um, yeah. We're yeah. Americans. and yeah. so We've moved beyond that, you. I know that like now that there's the internet and we can hear what the rest of the world really thinks, then we're not supposed to feel so superior but but we totally feel like we're the kardashians right yeah, now local kardashians. Mm-hmm. We're the kardashians who aren't like getting people out of prison left and right <laughs> the right the no good yeah. kardashians the, the kardashians who aren't actually really going to real law school yeah not the ones who are like am i gonna degree. have to rethink right. my well, well i'll be doggone Huh, just goes to show you. Yeah, it does. But maybe the the ones 
who were married into the family that says God talks through them. Uh-huh. Okay, and so those are the answers to last year's last, last week's year. questions. Today we are going to Bedford Falls, New York, a fictitious town. Yes. This week, George Bailey has so many problems, he is thinking about ending it all. <laughs> Did and you make that up? And it's Christmas. As George is about to jump off a bridge, he ends up rescuing his guardian angel, Clarence, who then shows George what his town would be like if it hadn't been for all of George's good deeds. We are indeed doing it's a wonderful life. Wasn't that good? It's one of my favorite movies. I find it so rewatchable. In fact, so I watched, it's on Amazon Prime right now. It is for free if you have Amazon Prime. Both versions. When, yeah. when I saw that they tried to, it was the, the color version, I did have a conniption fit. And I was like, how dare you? So I, of course, went straight black and white. And then I was very, so I watched the whole movie last night. And then I was, I I guess I wanted to pick a fight. And so I started watching the color version. And I was like, you know what? They did a good job. You know why they did a good job, though? Because they did such a fucking fantastic job filming this movie that when it went to color, and they did a great job doing it to color, but just because of the shots and the the DPs and stuff doing their thing, it it works. And I I was I was ready to just <coughs> go full on film snob, but I was like, so I ended up watching about another hour of the color version. I love the beginning of it. I I never you never remember the beginning of it. You only remember the end, and it's the end where he meets Clarence, but. Uh, you always remember that part where he is like, you know, a mess. But the the beginning is really fun. Young Violet and oh, young, young. But I Mary. like. I find the end just as fun because it's like, oh, now it's the Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm I'm so in. That's why yeah. this movie. It's, it's. But this, this was fun because I realized that I never really get to see the beginning. I'm yes. always turning it on. And it's yes. always at some point when they're doing. I usually always get to see like the the dance at the school. Right. And the swimming pool. Right. But I heard before that. Man, yeah. Young George Bailey. It was like it was like I'd never seen that part before. Yeah. I know I have. But um. It's very seldom that you watch it all the way through because you usually come in somewhere when it's already on. Well, yeah. I guess we, we should get to the particulars because there's so much to say. This might be yep. a four-hour podcast. Oui. Okay, let's go to the particulars. All right. So, It's a Wonderful Life, 1946. It was originally going to be released in 1947, but it got pushed up and was released December 20th, 1946 in order to be eligible for the Academy Awards, which in turn ended up backfiring because 1946 yeah. was a pretty stacked year for films, and 1947 it didn't have as much stiff competition. So, yeah. but they and, didn't win any Academy Awards. It was directed by Frank Capra, 
who's surprising to me, and after seeing this movie so many times, a Republican. I was. Are you kidding? No. Well, but, a Republican back then. Yeah. So I was Different. just like, huh. Um, he also did Ladies of Leisure. And then 1934, did it happen one night? Mr. Deeds goes to town. You can't take it with you. Mr. Smith goes to Washington in 1939. Meet John Doe, Arsenic and Old Lace. During World War II, he was one of the, the film directors. Um, it was like him, John Ford, William Wyler. It's a great documentary on Netflix about them that they made documentary film. So he did the Why We Fight series in World War II which was a great documentary series. He also was the producer of the World War II documentary, The Negro Soldier, which mm. it was pretty groundbreaking because it showed black people being soldiers and not being um, porters or maids and stuff. It was like, hey, yeah, we can soldier. Duh. We can do anything you can do better. <laughs> uh, question uh-huh have you listened to this week's imagine life i have so so he was mentioned in that frank capra yeah oh during the war when the this week's imagine life person oh. was yeah okay. i wasn't thinking about that because i had already guessed who it was i had i guess 13 minutes in I'm sure you did. I thought it was Hugh Hefner. That's what my coworker said. (laughs) Yeah. He was was, like, she was like Hugh Hefner. And I was like, "Mm, I don't think so. Because I listened to a business wars and I'm pretty sure that it's this guy. Okay. Okay. We digress. Sorry. Um, The screenplay was by Frances Godrick and her husband, Albert Hackett and Frank Capra. So the Godricks, ooh, Frances Godrick and her husband, Al- Albert Hackett, they, um, not too shabby, won the Pulitzer Prize for drama for a little play called The Diary of Anne Frank. Oh, ouch. Also did The Thin Man, Father of the Bride, After the Thin Man, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, and Easter Parade. And I've seen all of those. <laughs> so... There is some, well, I'll get into the Tasty Nuggets. So there's Frank Capra. Then there's, in the credits, it says additional scenes by Joe Swirling. Yeah. And then uncredited is Michael Wilson. He was blacklisted. He also wrote, excuse me, A Place in the Sun, The Bridge Over the River Kwai, Lawrence of Arabia, and Planet of the Apes. Damn. And then Dorothy Parker, uncredited. She was, was Dorothy Parker the really smart one? Yeah, for known for her wit and wisecracks. She yeah. also worked on 1937's A Star is Born, Smash Up, History of a Woman. Um, And this little tidbit, I know that I've mentioned it before, but I forget where. She, When she died, she left her estate to Martin Luther King Jr., and then when Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> died, his family um, gave, like, bequeathed her estate and stuff to uh, the NAACP. 
So outside of Baltimore, that's where her remains are. And oh. she's like, yeah, she's like the most ally of the allies. She's the, like the NAACP is like, yeah, here's Dorothy Parker. She was bout it, bout it. Wow. She was woke before there was woke. She, she was oh, like awake. She was awake. She was wake. She she was like she was so woke she would be offended to be called woke. She would be excuse me. This is an Probably. ongoing process. Right, right. Right. Um, it's based on the short story The Greatest Gift by Philip Van Doren Stern, which was a short story and it was published in nineteen forty four and he was known as a Civil War historian. The music mm. is by Dimitri Tiamakin. Uh, he was known for westerns, Duel mm. in the Sun, Red River, Gunfight at the OK Corral, High Noon, Dial N for Murder, Friendly Persuasion, Guns of Navarone, <gasps> and Lost Horizon. Why did you gasp at Guns, Guns of, of Navarone? That was my movie with my dad. Well, we have to do it then. Yeah, we will. Um, the director of photography, nerd alert, there were actually three. So the first director of photography was Victor Milner, but he was slow and pretentious. So then they hired Joseph Walker, but then Henry, okay, Joseph Walker, he did Mr. Deeds Goes to Town. Lost Horizons, You Can't Take It With You, His Girl Friday, Born Yesterday, It Happened One Night. So then uh, Harry Cohn, the head, the chief or head of Columbia, I believe, he wanted him to return back to Columbia because there was a star vehicle for a female, unnamed female actress. I don't know who it was. He was like, you need to shoot that. So he trained Joseph Byrock. B-I-R-O-C, to take over. This guy did The Towering Inferno, Bye Bye Birdie, Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, Viva Las Vegas, Blazing Saddles, The Mm -hmm. Longest Yard, Airplane. So, And it was interesting because it was hard to work on three different cinematographers, but luckily they all shot different scenes, so it didn't, matter they didn't have to worry about matching each other's style oh that's good which is so interesting because i i love the visual style of the film and i'm three different guys worked on this yeah very yeah wow it doesn't feel disjointed at all and you would think it would Mm -mm. it was edited by william hornbeck who he had he got four oscar nominations a place in the sun giant and i want to live Starring James Stewart. He was 38 when this was filmed as George Bailey. He was also in You Can't Take It With You. In 1939, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. 1940, The Shop Around the Corner. The Philadelphia Story. Then he was in Rope, Harvey, Rear Window. The Man Who Knew Too Much. Vertigo, Anatomy of Murder. I mean, he's Jimmy freaking Stewart. Jimmy freaking Stewart. Then we have Donna Reed. She was 25. She was Mary Hatch. From 1958 to 1966, she was on the Donna Reed Show. 
She, she was, was. I watched it every week. She was in Green Dolphin Street and From Here to Eternity. We have Lionel Barrymore. He was Mr. Potter. He was in Free Soul, David Copperfield, Duel in the Sun, and Ebenezer Scrooge. He did a lot of Ebenezer Scrooge radio and stuff. His siblings were Ethel Barrymore and John Barrymore. Quite a famous family of actors. And then John Barrymore's son was John Drew Barrymore. And then they, she came from Drew Barry. Then that's Drew Barrymore. So that would be Lionel Barrymore is Drew Barrymore's great uncle, I believe. And I think they were all equally messed up. Yeah, they they like the alcohol. They got, uh, you know, they have that addiction gene very strong. Yeah. And did. then not just the alcohol, but other substances. And as then well. like money and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then but she to seems to have in. come through it. She seems to be on the other side. Yeah. I hope so. Mm-hmm. We we are Drew Barrymore fans in our family. Yes. You kind well, of resembled of her when you were a child. Yeah. A little bit, I think. We have Thomas Mitchell as Uncle Billy. He was in Gone with the Wind, Stagecoach, yes. High Noon, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. I had High Noon twice. He also won an Oscar, an Emmy, and a Tony. If only he had gotten a Grammy. Yeah, that, mm. that was not in his cards. Yes, what a failure. What a failure, Thomas. Total fa- only three of the big four. I'm sorry. <laughs> All the acting awards you could get. Or I guess the, the big ones. Um, Henry Travers as Clarence. He was in Mrs. Miniver. And then I'm sure he was in other movies, but that's the only one I wrote down. So something must have taken my attention away from that. Gloria Graham as Violet. She was in The Bad and the Beautiful, The Big Heat, Human Misery, and Oklahoma. Where the wind comes rocking down the plain and the wave and we I've never seen Oklahoma. Can sure smell sweet. Are you done? When the wind comes right behind <laughs> the rain. Oh. oh my. Now I'm done. Lillian Randolph as Annie. She was in The Bachelor and the Bobby Socks. Bobby Soccer. She was also <laughs> Beulah on the radio. Wait, go back. What was the name of that movie? The Bachelor and the Bobby Soccer. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. I I don't know. She was Beulah in the radio. That was a radio show. We mentioned it because she took over for Hattie McDaniel when she got ill. And she was also in Sanford and Son and the Jeffersons and Roots and... She was Birdie in the Great Gildersleeve radio show. She was also the voice of Hanna Barbera's Mammy Two Shoes in Tom and of Jerry. She was. Um, in 1946, Ebony wrote an article. It was kind of like, hey, uh, yeah. w- you know, what's w- all? It's a tough look out there. It's a tough look. Tough look, Lillian. W- what are you doing? And Lillian and the screenwriter came back and she said, I don't think that these roles themselves are, well, let me phrase it. She said, look, okay, 
These roles I'm exist. making a living here, people. Yeah. Like, they're not going to stop making these roles. They're just going to not have black people in them. And then there's going to be no black people in anything. Right. So they'll just recast it with another ethnicity. So, you know, hey, I'm 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 trying at least to like you can see somebody that that's black on the that's screen. True. She's in the room where it's happening. So so it's just it's just that that tough tiny steps. That tough thing. So yeah. and she also started as a blues singer. Mm. And she was the sassy maid. I think that Dorothy Parker that's where I think Dorothy Parker's work shown. I have a theory. I didn't get to look it up or anything because Annie has some wise cracks in there and some zingers. Yeah, she does. I'm like, Dorothy Parker? Hmm. Ally. Was she? Here, Annie, say this. There you go. Here's hmm. Annie's line. Made me wonder. Hmm. Just saying. Because she's not, because Annie in this isn't, like, she's taking no nonsense. No, and she speaks back to them. Yeah. She it isn't like, oh, I'm so happy to be doing this. No. It's like well, huh. Speak one, for yourself, Mrs. B. Yeah, there's one place where George is having repartee with her and she comes right back at him like um well, if you'd say something interesting that then I'd be listening or mm-hmm. I don't, I don't remember what it was, but she had a, a wisecrack right back at him. And I'm just saying, Dorothy Parker, right there being like, don't don't you worry, Lillian. I'll give you some zingers. Or maybe Lillian came up with them herself. I don't know. I'm just saying. Just okay. seems to fit. And then, every time I see this movie, I'm always like, man, the kid... In that's hitting on Mary in the in our favorite dance uh-huh, scene. Uh-huh. That gets he the looks thing. so familiar. You know why? Yeah, I do. He's Alfalfa. I know. Grown up Alfalfa. Carl Dean Switzer. Yeah. I wouldn't have put it together if I hadn't. I would have just continued to say, wow, he looks familiar. Now, do you know what ended up happening to him? Oh, God, no. So there's this weird story, you know, the, the work and stuff slowed down. There was a guy, he said that he would train his dog, a hunting dog. The dog got spooked by a bear and ran away. The alfalfa put up flyers and said that he would pay a reward for the dog. This guy came into the Studio City bar where Alfalfa was working, had the dog. Alfalfa paid him and then gave him like more, like about $15 more drinks. And this is like 1959, $15 of drinks. Ooh, that would be a lot. So then, you know, Alfalfa and his buddy, who was a, a unit set photographer, you know, they're drinking. So they're like, wait a second. How come I had to pay... The reward fee for the dog. Like, the guy that paid that was going to pay me to train his dog, gets his dog back, I had to pay the reward fee? Come on, man. Let's go. Let's go get the money that is owed to us. So he goes to the, to the guy's place who owned the dog and was knocking on the door and said, hey, give us, the, give us the money. So it didn't really go well. 
there was a fight that ensued. Don't tell me the dog died. No. The guy the guy said that alfalfa cracked him on the eye with a clock, like a, a glass oh. clock thing. So then the guy was like, all right, I got something for you, and went and got a 38. <gasps> and then alfalfa was like, what? And they, then there, something happened, and a gunshot went off in the ceiling. And then alfalfa, then the guy said that alfalfa pulled a knife on him and was like, I'm going to kill you. So then the guy shot him like in the groin area. Ouch. That massive bleeding. Alfalfa died. (gasps) The guy said that it was self-defense. So they were, and the knife that he said he had, turns out it was a pocket knife. So it wasn't going to do anything. I don't see alfalfa you know, no. Well, so all of this happened. The reason, like, it's not really heard about is because Alfalfa died the same day as Cecil B. DeMille. So it was, oh. you know, no, no. And then in 2001, I believe, the stepson of the guy who, like, there's a whole bunch of Hollywood. This is, it's got to be on My Favorite Murder or something. Because then he comes out and he says that he was a little boy and he was there and that his stepdad got away with murder. Mm-hmm. And basically says, yeah, there was a fight and stuff. And then he. I'm going to guess he was white. <laughs> the guy that shot Alfalfa? Yeah. Because the guy who got away with murder. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's just a given. <laughs> he got, he got he's free. Well, I mean, he died, but whatever. Anyway, so then the, we're not the, saying that he went to hell. The stepson is basically saying, like, laid it out, like, yeah, there was a fight and stuff, and then they were gonna leave, and then he got shot. So the guy killed him, and then the guy, Alfalfa's friend that was with him, he got threatened by the guy. Was, and the only thing that saved the guy, the friend from not getting killed is the sirens because the police were uh, on their way already. Okay. So then he said like, oh yeah. And it was like the, but like the pocket knife at the scene was all closed up. So, you know, the cops were like, what happened? They're like, yo, it was self-defense. And it was 1959. So. What happened to the dog? I don't know. Okay. Alfalfa died. Alfalfa was probably murdered. <coughs> well, that's sad. Yeah, the the dog was probably fine. It was like, I'm not a hunting dog. I don't want to go hunting. I want to sit on couches. <laughs> don't make me. I want to sit in a bar and have strangers rub my head. Yeah, I like. It turns out I like happy hour. <laughs> I like happy hour humans. We have a new dog in our family, and he likes happy hour. He, so perfect. Oh. Yeah, that's what we can't the, wait to meet him. Great stoic face. <laughs> Once no again, emotion. We digress. <laughs> All right. So those are the particulars. Well done. Well, it starts with some celestialness what? happening I in in the stars and sky, and and I said that's Clarence's voice. And it was, but we haven't met Clarence yet. And um, they're up in the celestial skies. They're saying, well, they're, 
There are a whole bunch of people down there praying for help for George. The whole town is praying. And so it's snowing in the town. Oh, a tasty nugget's about the snow later. Okay. And oh, Okay, so we're in the heavens. We're sending an angel to help George. So at 1045 in the evening, George is thinking about ending it all. Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, 1045. Excuse me, I have to cough. Uh, <coughs> no cough so, button. Um, Clarence has been waiting 200 years to get his wings. That's a long time. That's a long time. So we do a flashback because the greater being says that Clarence needs to learn about George's past to be able to help him with his present. Mm-hmm. That will then get him to his future. So we have a flashback of boys sledding down a hill on a shovel. A shovel. I, I'm just saying, you know, in this day and time, would any kid think of putting a shovel between his legs and sliding down a hill on it? No, no they would not because they don't have any imagination. <laughs> they would just be like, where is the sled? I, I don't have a sled. a sled. Throw a temper tantrum until mommy goes and buys a sled. Yeah, Amazon says it'll be here at 10 o'clock. Gotta wait till 10. Um, and so they are sliding down a hill that goes on to a frozen lake. It looks like a blast. It well, does look fun. Harry's, um, George's brother Harry gets on and he goes, now because he's lighter, He's the youngest of them all. He goes farther onto the lake. And as you get near the center of the lake, not quite as frozen. Now, the the ice that the kids had sled on could be harvested and put into ice caves, as it were. Mm. But this ice wasn't thick enough, and he falls through. Mm. So George has to go into the freezing water to save his brother Harry, which he does. But by doing so, he gets really sick, has an ear infection, loses the hearing in his left ear. I think it was ear. his left ear. It Although, was his left ear. Shout out to the rest of the boys because they formed the human chain. And they <laughs> they did it very efficiently like they had done it before. Because George goes in and he just goes, chain! And they all fall in line. Yeah. Because they're used to playing outside and solving problems for themselves. Well, you could say they're used to danger because that just seemed very dangerous. I was always taught not to go onto frozen lakes or frozen bodies of water. Right. But if you were with a certain group of children, you would have. And then they would have taught you how to survive the situations because that's what used to happen. Or you didn't and they died and that's also what used to happen. Which also (laughs) then made the kids go, okay, that didn't work. Let's try a new strategy next time. I believe that that's called natural selection. Natural selection. Okay. Well, now we are at at a drugstore. Old man glowers. Which I, hold on. I thought that young George Bailey was super attractive for a little kid. He was very. I, I wonder what like, happened to him. Well, I had to look it up 
Brad Anderson, I believe is his name. And of course, his name is Brad. He did a few other things, and then he he was just kind of like in and out of Hollywood. But I thought, my God, why wasn't he the next James Dean? This yeah. guy. Why wasn't he the next Brad Pitt? I'm just saying. Well, because he, he was, was a very good-looking young man and quite good in his role. Yes. Because he had to have some emotion in the next scene. Well, I have a nerd alert for that. <coughs> okay, so he is um, George Bailey is now working in a in the Gower. Okay, Gower drugstore. Drugstore, and old man Gower is inebriated and continuing to get more so. Well, he's crying because George sees on the cash register a telegram that says that his son has died at College of Influenza. Interesting tidbit. I thought that when, and I don't know if it was because I just rewatched it, but I, in all my times of watching it, I never piece together because George is whistling or singing while he's making a Sunday and you see old man Gower poke his head out and tell him like basically shut up I'm not paying you to be a canary and right. whistling and singing and in I never noticed that he was crying and in the color version that comes across more yes that he it because the first in black and white and stuff I was always like oh he's just like drunk or something but I in the agree. color one you see it like, oh, he's crying. Yeah, I agree. I always thought he was just drunk. Did you watch the color one last night or this week? I, or? I did watch the colorized oh. one only because it was the first one that came up. And so I clicked it. You didn't have a conniption fit like, oh, I do not think so. <laughs> no, I was kind of like, let's see where this goes. Oh. Yeah, but I that was something that was interesting to me of like, oh, that plays a little bit differently. Yeah. And then um, evidently Mr. Potter drives by in a car because that's the first time we hear of Mr. Potter. It wasn't a and car. It was a fancy carriage. Oh, okay. I was like, Potter, wh why not upgrade? Oh, but he couldn't. It was nineteen like 1919. Exactly. But we just know Mr. Potter has a lot of money and appears to be a bit of an ass. Yeah, he's a he's a dick. Right. Well, we have Mary and Violet. Okay, Mary's at the counter. Adorable little little Mary. And uh, Violet comes in, and she comes in to buy shoelaces. But it's obvious she's come into the drugstore a lot and sat at the counter and bought shoelaces because George says right away Violet you need another pair of shoelaces so you get the idea that Violet's coming in to see George and she's just buying the shoelaces to have some interaction with George Mary's trying to decide what she wants um, and so Mary says to Violet uh, you like him and she says I, I like him and Mary says you like every boy Already Violet, hmm. at a young age, has a rep. <laughs> Mutation. So George has a National Geographic magazine. When I was George and Mary's age, National Geographic was a great magazine to look and find people who aren't wearing a lot of clothes in their nat natural habitats. I mean, it was like, okay... 
this this um this photographer went to Africa and took pictures and wow look at all the boobs hanging out there so that was my introduction to National Geographic magazine okay Georgia George liked it because of the adventure George was into the adventure and traveling and seeing new lands that that his imagination could only take him to yeah with the magazine's like purpose right the magazine's Um, actual mission statement exactly okay and mary whispers in george's deaf ear i'll love you till the day i die but george George? doesn't hear it because he's deaf in that george is a looker and he already had a steady job (laughs) you could do worse mary right now, then we go to Bailey Brothers Building and Loan. <clears throat> Excuse me, a personal note. My grandfather started a building and loan in Blue Ash, Ohio. So my grandfather was like the George Bailey. That explains well, a lot. The dad, the the dad Bailey. Yeah, that that explains the fortune. It does indeed. <laughs> it does indeed. Because my grandfather also owned a lot of land in Montgomery, which was the other side of the tracks from where I lived, and sold it for like $5 an acre. Hmm. Yeah. So okay, we, that's, where, where, that's where I get my business acumen. Your business as well as investment acumen. Okay, well, Mr. Potter is in with Pop, and Mr. Potter is saying, you know, uh, Mr. Bailey, you owe me $5,000 on these these past mortgages. People aren't paying their mortgages. And Pop is saying, well, these these are good people. They've just fallen on hard times, but I know they're good for the money. Well, Ma, but the reason that we didn't just cut there, we went there because... George Bailey's going there because he notices something very wrong with um, Gower. And he doesn't know what to do. And he looks up at a sign and it says, basically says, if you don't know what to do, ask your dad. It's a, That's a sign that's in the drugstore. And so he goes and he's going to ask his dad. But when he gets there, his dad is in the middle of all this business. And then we learn about the biz- the building and loan. The, the, the movie is great. The movie is, it, the way that it cuts together and moves and stuff and how you're picking up at all these little things. Right, because there are several subplots. Yeah, so basically, Gower has given, his grief has given this kid that has, that needs medicine, poison. And... Um, he's like, George, go deliver it. George like looks and he goes, oh my gosh, this is poison. He tries to tell him, but that, you know, he's out of it. Gower's out of it. So he looks up the sign says, go ask your dad. He runs to the building alone, tries to get and ask his dad. His dad's like, look, look, he's busy right now. He's doing all of this stuff. And then there was an, the scene continued to go on, but thankfully it was cut because uncle Billy was going to be. Uh, lighting a cigarette, throwing a match in the trash can, and then the trash can was going to set on fire. And so then that's when George is like, man, they got too much going on here. I got to get out of here. 
But thankfully that was cut because the editor knew what he was doing. He was like, no, yeah. we don't need that. Yeah, there was too much. Mm -hmm. I agree. Okay, so Potter says, we're not running a charity ward here. And and Pop Bailey kind of was. I mean, he was looking out for the underdog. Okay, so um, George stands up to to Mr. Potter and says, you, you can't call my dad a loser. That's, that's not okay. And, um, then he goes back to the pharmacy and Mr. Gower is in trouble because the medicine never got to the kid. Well, yeah, the, the woman, the mom calls up and it says, Hey, my kid's sick. Where's the medicine? And then Gower is like, what do you mean? I sent George to go get it. And then George happens to be there. Gower hangs it up and he just goes off on him. Why didn't you deliver the medicine? Why didn't you do it? And he starts beating him, beating him in his bad ear and his bad ear starts bleeding. Which, according to the actor, uh, to the little George Bailey actor, the actor that played Gower really did hit him upside the head and make his ear bleed. Mm -hmm. It was real blood. Damn. But they didn't stop the action because it was so good. Because Capra's like, this is real. This is real. So George is saying, Mr. Gower, Mr. Gower, you put something wrong in the capsules. You put poison in the capsules. And he's like, I know that your son is dead and, and I know you didn't mean to do it. And I'm never going to tell. Oh, man. I was like, don't look at me. Already this movie's got me. Yeah. Because he was like, I'm, I know I'll never tell anybody. I know that you didn't mean to. It's because your son is dead and you're hurting. And then and then Gower, like he re he goes and he t and he looks in the, and gets the poison. And then he just melts and he just like just starts hugging George. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Saved him a, a murder. Yeah. Conviction. Okay. So now we have um, George, um, and he is shopping for a suitcase because he is going to be leaving town. He's finally getting out of this town. He's getting he, all he's ever wanted was to go traveling, get out of Bedford Falls, and he's uh, he says, "Is he ever going to marry a girl?" He didn't know, but he wants to go exploring. And the the shopkeeper at the luggage store says, well, this looks like a good suitcase. And George says, I'll take it. And he says, it's already been purchased for you by Mr. Gower. This is grown up George as Jimmy Stewart now. Mm -hmm. It has, it, it's a great scene because it, it the first suitcase <coughs> is small. And George is like, oh, no, I want something big. I want it big. I want to be able to put all of my stickers on it from all my different places that I've gone, you see. I want that a nice a one. Thing, I guess. And then the guy says, oh, you mean something like this? He's like, oh, oh, now that's, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, yes. And then he goes, oh, what? It says George Bailey. That's me. What's my name already on it? Oh, and, then, and he goes, indeed. He goes, it's already been bought and paid for you by old man Gower. And I was like, oh, old man Gower. I know. Oh, who's cutting an onion? So everybody in town loves George. And, and as he's going through town, everybody knows he's getting out of town. He's going traveling. 
he he's finished with high school. He's going to travel and then come back and go to college. And so everybody's wishing him well. We need a va 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 voom grown up Violet. Well, that's Gloria Graham. Whew. And it's his last dinner in the Bailey house because he's off to see the world and then go to college. Well, Pop comes in. Oh, we see our first person of color, Annie. Yeah. The help at Ma Bailey's house. And Pop had a problem with Bailey today. Now, Harry, the younger brother, is going off to celebrate his high school graduation, and everybody's telling him no gin tonight. (laughs) And it's like, what? That's how I was. My high school graduation, I hadn't, I am a gin lover. I hadn't even thought of gin. I know. For high school graduation, it would be like, oh, no beer. No beer in in Ohio at that point. It would be no um, 0.6% alcohol beer. Oh, Um, jeez. Yeah. So, um, Harry's going to take George's job at the building in a month so that George can go off and see the world. And then go to college, and then when George is done with college, then Harry's going to go to college. Right. He'll come back. Harry will go to college. George will take over at the building and loan, and then we'll see what happens after that. He wants to do something important. Um, I had a side note here. Pull up chair. Annie Heard Butler. I don't know what that means. Um, get oh, yourself because ed- he because he's talking and Annie wants to hear and so he goes to Annie. Why oh, don't you don't. Why don't you pull up a chair, Annie, so you can hear better? And then and she says, "When there's something worth hearing, I will." I will. And then he gives the old wink and stuff. It's just ah man, Jimmy Stewart is Jimmy Stewart charm. It is. It is. It really makes you. This movie really makes you think. And we'll talk about more <laughs> in recasting about how. There just aren't movie stars anymore. Yeah. Man. I mean, there's stars who appear in movies, but like there's so very few movie stars. Yes. And and Pops is telling him, get yourself an education and get out of here. Well, um, they they all say, George, are you going to Harry's graduation party? And George says, well, no, nah, I'm past. I've already graduated high school. I'm not going back to a graduation party. And then he goes, oh, well, maybe I'll go to the, the party tonight. Yeah, it's Bedford Falls, George. What There's else are nothing you going to do? So um, he does decide to go to the graduation party. Sam Wainwright is there. He is a college graduate. He's always all already graduated. Oh, Sam, and Sam Wainwright was the one that always went, hee-haw. Hee-haw. And he, I think, graduated high school with George. Yeah. He he was able to go on to college because he already had the money. George had to save up that money to be able to go to college. And so I Sam mean, Wainwright... I prob- we, we don't know the, all the financials of Bedford Falls, but it could be said, maybe, that the reason the Wainwrights had the money to for, to send Sam to college was because of George Bailey and his building in loan. Right. And that was the reason that uh, George, his son, George Bailey, had to wait. Right. 
So we know they are friends, but Sam is the rich one. Mm -hmm. Sam, Sam's got the money already and uh, is able to do what George wishes he could do. Well, we hear about that there is, because of the Bailey building and loan, the high school wanted to have a pool, but they didn't have the money to build a new building for the pool. So what they did was they, they built a pool under the gymnasium floor, which I think is brilliant. Brilliant. All you had to do was go and flip a switch and then turn a dial and the basketball court gymnasium floor would open and the pool was underneath. Brilliant. Brilliant. You already have the stands. And they say it's because of the Baileys that we were able to do this. It's and so cool. And they saved um, like a million dollars. Yeah. A million dollars in 1928 money. So. Yeah. So another friend comes up to George and goes, will you do me a favor? My, my little sister Mary's here. Will you just dance with her just once? And so he, he goes, Mary? Mary, I remember Mary. She used to come into the into the drugstore and get a malt all the time. And so he looks over and it's in the cartoons where you see the eyes bugging out. Whoa, 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 whoa. He sees Mary, the young Donna Reed. She sees him. She's been in love with him forever. Remember, I'll love you till the day I die. And so he goes over to ask her to dance in his very curmudgeon-y, um, awkward Jimmy way. Stewart, charming way. Like, exactly. Look at that. Curmudgeon, awkward, and yet still able to be charming. Exactly. That's... Stars in their eyes. <sighs> and the dance is a Charleston contest. Now, those of you who watch Dancing with the Stars, mm -hmm. this is the Charleston of back then. I remember oh. my mother dancing the Charleston. She could dance the Charleston? She could. And she could do that knee thing, you know, with the, your your hands on your knees and how you cross them. But that doesn't seem like the most difficult part of the Charleston. <coughs> my mom and dad could dance. They were both dance. They really? Because I, uh, I, I was never it. able to get the Charleston. With the, the Charleston? I was never able yeah. to get anything. The char the how you like go your your feet out. I can only I I still yeah. practice it trying to get it cuz I'm like, like you pin it's it on the balls me. of your feet and kick them out. Yeah. Yeah, they were good at it. I just remember my mom doing that knee thing. I thought it was amazing. Wow. So they are dancing the Charleston and there is someone who had asked Mary to dance. A four said alfalfa. Alfalfa. And he is quite jealous because Mary just left him to go dance with George Bailey. And then there's that kid in every group. <laughs> the one who never gets in trouble, but the one who instigates the is trouble. Is that Eddie and Haskell? Out of the way. Yeah. That's so what that, Eddie Haskell is. Exactly. The blame never falls on this one particular individual, but he is the reason for it all. And he goes alfalfa. Do you realize there is a switch and a button and all you got to do is press the button, pull the switch and the floor will open. 
and alfalfa, do you realize that George Bailey is dancing right on that crack right now? Right on the crack. So alfalfa does it. And he does the switch. The floor opens, and it opens slowly. This is reminding me of a very sad thing that happened. Oh, my gosh. So I'm not going to go there. Um, the floor is opening, and Mary and George are dancing right on the crack. So the the crowd kind of uh, sees it happening, but they but don't they know don't it's see happening. It. Yeah, and because they both said, "Oh, well, we, I don't, I'm not very good at the Charleston," and then they're like cutting a rug. They are super into it. They have all kinds of rhythm going, and they're just, and they think that the audience is going crazy. So then they're dancing even better. And as yeah. they like go back in the move, they're getting closer to the edge, and everybody's going, "Whoa!" And they so thinking, much suspense, oh. so much suspense. And finally, of course, it happens where they fall into the pool and then they're laughing. They continue to dance in the pool. And so everybody else goes, that looks like fun. So everybody jumps in the pool. But why did the pool stop? It, it stopped so that it was just that much space. Yeah, it, just it a small going. opening. I, I don't know. Maybe it had a, a quick release or something. I don't know. Because, like, really, everyone should have been forced to go yeah. into the pool. Really, Either get it, it up in the bleachers or go in the pool. It should have been a tragedy, but it, it <laughs> Thank was, God it was wasn't. So, um, yeah, it's really great. So much suspense because they dance right to the edge, and then they come back. And then they dance right. To, uh, yeah, it's great. Um, so the next scene is him walking Mary home. He was able to find a robe for her to put in, which you know was disgusting oh and he's wearing the like old 1919 <coughs> or 1928 football get up that are that's way too big so he has to hold the waist but yet the the shirt is way too small yeah um so it was all he could find for them to put on he's carrying mary's dress and oh uh, they are having a, they're having a good time and they um stop by her gate in front of her house because of course there's a picket fence and next door is the old granville house and the the legend is if you can break uh, if you can throw a stone and break the glass in the old granville house your wish will come true so she says don't i love that old house don't don't break another window and he throws a stone and he breaks glass and then she throws a stone and she breaks glass and she makes a wish, which we all know what it was. Mm -hmm. At this point, somehow he steps on her robe, which comes off, which means she's in her undies. Well, the, but at the that guy point, gets her, yell, the guy yells and is like, would you just shut up and kiss her already? And I think yeah. that scares her. And so she goes hiding, but he was stepped on a piece of the robe. So the rope's on the ground, so she and he's looking around, where did you go? And he sees the rope and he's like, Oh, oh. Ah, and then he starts having fun, which I look at it as fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, she's in the hydrangeas and you figure at that point in time her underwear was quite extensive. Oh, I was under the impression that she was completely naked. Yeah, you were supposed to be. But mm -hmm. come on, she had underclothes under that dress. Well anyway, anyway. It was quite it was it was a, a lovely little uh interlude. But some and, people would say he's 
he's holding her hostage because she's naked and he's holding the her robe and blah 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 but he was having fun with it and she was like having fun with it so exactly i don't think that this i'm i didn't put this as a bad reheatable he didn't come and pull her out of the bushes yeah in her her underclothes and whatever he was just having fun with it so um but then the fun gets interrupted by the car coming around saying george your, your father's had a stroke well, first he says, I'm going to see the world. But what do you want, Mary? What do you want? If I could lasso the moon for you, I would. And um, and the, the neighbor yells out, kiss her instead of talking her to death. And he go, he, when she runs out of the rope, he goes, we have a very interesting situation <laughs> here. At which point he finds out his father's had a stroke. Wah, wah. <sighs> so... Next scene, we find out George has given up his trip to Europe to get business done since his father died of that stroke. And uh, so he's going to go straight to college. And he's already missed a week of college getting all the finances in order. Okay. Well, at this point, Potter is there with the board of directors for the building and loan. And Potter wants to dissolve the building and loan. Why does he want to do that, Aaron? Uh, well, that's he's because a so many people are using the building and loan, and then but the building and loan means you are getting credit for a house. I'm going to give you a down payment. I'm going to put it into the building and loan. The building and loan is then going to use that money to help finance somebody else's house. So it's not like um, a debt. Well, you have a debt and you have to pay your but, mortgage. Well, there's a really great article in the Atlantic <coughs> called The Morality of Banking in It's a Wonderful Life by Bari Lamb and Jillian B. White. And the article is all about banking and financial institutions and how it's still relevant today, what they're talking about then. Because they're basically talking about the same thing that, they, that they're talking about now. Same thing that they talked about in 2008. It's about the role of banking and financial institutions. Because the building and loan, the Bailey building and loan, believed that it was about community. And that your, it was giving credit to people to make their life better. And Potter looked at it as it's a charity. Because exactly. Of the money and stuff. And You're lending money to people who who don't have a lot of resources to pay it back. But your money then goes to help your neighbor get a house, which then goes to help his neighbor get a house. So they don't have, they aren't flush with the money because it's all invested into everybody else's house. But houses. that isn't just building. That's how banks work. But Except- he... Right, but he's going to charge a higher interest rate and make money on these people, yes. whereas the building and loan is just um, going back into the community. Yes, but I have more on that later. Yeah, that's that's a really simplistic way of doing it. Um, uh, and Potter is saying that at this point, um, George is wearing a black armband. I thought that was kind of nice when you're in mourning, you know? I don't know. No, so why, Peter, I thought it was weird. well. I guess that was what they. I mean, they still do it kind of in sports and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, Peter Bailey, his father was the building and loan, 
And he's saying George is not a businessman. Um, he's saying uh, your father had ideals without a business sense. And so um, you uh, you still owe me $5,000 that your father hasn't repaid. At this point, George gives a speech that everyone should listen to about helping hardworking people on whom the backs of the whole city have been built. Yeah. And come, if only to come without crawling to Potter. Come, if only to come without crawling to Potter. Yeah, because because Potter's going to charge them all of this money. It was basically saying... Giving people a hardworking people because Bedford is a middle class town with blue collar workers, and it's giving them the opportunity of home ownership, which is a pathway to building wealth and being able to afford houses, which is something that is still going on today. Right. And then the Potter, but Potter's like, well, no, this guy's a taxi cab driver. He's going to, he just sits on his ass all day. He's going to default. He's not going to be able to pay back his loan because the loan that Potter's going to give him is going to have all this interest. Yeah, I'm looking at you countrywide. Like all, you know, all of those things, those weird mortgages that people would get into so that they thought that they could afford it. And then their mortgage shoots up and then it's foreclosure. And the Bailey business and loan was about, it wasn't about making a profit. So it had very good rates and it was just, and if you couldn't pay on time, then it would kind of float you by, but it wasn't you floating by. It was kind of the rest of the community floating the you whole by. Community. So that exactly. when you got back on your feet, you repaid it. And then that money will go, well, he has that other speech later. So, right. but Potter, it was, you know, <coughs> well, he has a, yeah. Okay. So, um, at this point, Uncle Billy, you know, is his father's brother. They say Uncle Billy is 56. That's a hard 56, man. He looks 80. He Well, you got to think, remember how last week we talked about those Halloweens of the 1900s? Yeah. So, I'm guessing that those Halloween nights put some age on you. <laughs> so, as well as several other things. Yeah. And Uncle Billy was, you know, the younger brother who was in over his head. He really, he didn't have any business sense. He, he didn't have any sense at all. But, he, but he, was a, he was a good guy. <coughs> he, he brightened up a room. <coughs> he was fun to be around. He was indeed. So um, George leaves the meeting and the other people in the meeting have voted Potter down. But only if... They will not dissolve the building and loan only if George will become the head of the building and loan. I just told you people, I'm trying to get out of this town. So George does what George would do. He gave his college money to Harry. And as soon as Harry gets back to take over the building and loan, then George can have his dream of going and seeing the world. Well, it is Thanksgiving or Christmas. Time for Harry to come home. Is it Christmas? I forget. Um, I wrote here, you know how Olivia Coleman is the queen of jealousy? Yes. 
James Stewart was the king of disappointment. Oh, he could do disappointment so well. Show, just showing disappointment on his face. If you want to see what it looks like to be jealous and not be able to say anything, watch this season of The Crown. Olivia Coleman shows you what jealousy looks like. Jimmy Stewart shows you what disappointment looks like. So, George is like, finally, Harry is finished with college. He's coming home. I get to go see the world. They go to the train to pick up Harry. Second black person, Porter. Porter. Jerry gets, uh, Harry, <laughs> gets off the train. But who trails behind him? Some lass. Alas, a wife, a wife whose father has offered him a job. And she, excuse me, she's just like, oh, Harry can't, George, 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 Harry just can't stop talking about you. And I'm like, he really? Because if he can't stop talking about him, why is you show up as a surprise? Right. Couldn't have sent a telegram or anything. Right. And like Harry doesn't know George's dream and like yeah. saying, I can't take your job with your father because my brother who put me through college oh, is waiting me. for his turn. No, 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 no. My <clears throat> brother who gave up half of his hearing to save my, my life. life. Oh my gosh. You're the older sibling and you saved the life of your younger sibling? <laughs> oh, man. Are you kidding me? And Uncle Billy is drunk at this point. So Uncle Billy, has has he always been drunk? I think Uncle Billy is a, a, bit, of a bit of a drunkard. Okay. Well, George has been walking around with these travel brochures in his breast pocket for... Well, nigh on 40 years. Four years. Sorry. <laughs> Four years. <laughs> and he just throws the travel brochures away because he knows Harry's going to go work for this broad's father. Well, and Harry does be... say, Harry does say, look, she spoke out of turn. I haven't agreed to anything. I know that I know the deal that we made and I'm fully willing like, I want to come back. I want to, you know, it's time for you to go see the world. I know how much that means to you. But it's George who knows what's the right thing for Harry to do. Yeah. So George, maybe George has a bit of a martyr complex, maybe? Uh, yeah. Bit of a, well, bit of a savior he's kind the older of brother. The father has died. Yeah, George is... Truthfully, in this in this day and age, too good to be true. Yeah, because one, I would have been like, excuse me, My why turn. didn't you tell me you got married? That's a bit of a slap in the face. And yeah, you're damn straight. You're going to be here. I'm going off to finally see the world. Yeah. No. How many of these National Geographic boobies do I have to look at? Hmm. <laughs> At least when you looked at National Geographic, you knew that gravity was a bitch. Okay, so George is walking in town and he sees Violet with two dudes who are like, oh, va-va-va-voom, ready for Violet. 
And she sees George, and George goes up to her and goes, Come with me, Mary. We're going to climb Mount Bedford, and we're going to walk in the grass in bare feet. And we're going to... And Mary's going, I mean, I, I apologize. Violet oh. is going... I was like, what? This is your idea of a good time? Because, seriously, I am into Dom Perignon and diamonds, and I don't want to... I, I like you, but I thought we'd have, you know, like some fun, not walking bare feet. So she goes, no, George, not my idea. <clears throat> well, strangely, George keeps walking by Mary's house. And in Mary's house, there is a painting of George lassoing the moon. If you remember the last time George and Mary were together, the gymnasium floor split. They ended up in the pool. He walked her home. Yes, she lost her. So that was clothing. four years ago? Yeah. Um, and he just yeah. keeps walking by her house? It's a small town. You would think they would have bumped into she's, each other. She's been out of town. She's oh. She's been gone. She's back home for the holidays. Mm. I think she went uh, to college. Maybe she went to college, you know, last week. Yeah, you don't have a uh, an engagement. You got to go to college. Damn. Um, and so um, she goes out and says, you're going to walk by my house all night? Or are you going to come in and visit? And it, it there's awkward tension between George and Mary. At which point the mother calls down from upstairs. You know, Sam is calling tonight. So evidently, Sam has been calling Mary. He's quite interested in Mary. Remember, Sam has the Sam's money. Sam's got money. Well, Sam does call. And Mary goes, oh, you're not going to believe who's here. It's George. And so they put George on the phone. But, okay, this was the time when there were, this house had two phones. Yeah. Very unusual. Well, they put two kids to college. They have money. One downstairs. So George and Mary are sharing a receiver of the phone so they can hear Sam. And as they're sharing the phone call with Sam, did the phone call get get fainter and fainter? Or was that just my imagination? Because the sexual tension Well, I think was- it did because the the hearing thing got farther away because yeah. Jimmy Stewart was doing the thing where he like smells her hair and stuff and then oh and my then God. Donna Reed is like looking up and they're just like oh these they're two. inches apart yeah and then what's his face is talking about something and nobody's even. Were you even listening to whatever Sam was saying? I, I was. No. It was something like there was some sort of like opportunity or something. Oh yeah, there was an op- an investment it, opportunity. Yeah, like this. It there was something that it, it moved the plot forward. It but did. But the real plot is was the Georgian. sexual tension. Yeah. Well, then they argue. Well, no, because George gets mad. He he gets mad that he's so attracted to Mary. He's like, look, listen to me. I don't want to get married. I don't want to settle down. Pretty non-violently violent with her. I, I want to I get out of this town. What have you done? You ugh, Get out of my mind. I don't want to get married. Yeah. 
the mother-in-law is upstairs crying the whole time because she's going, I'm losing my money. Wait, right. Okay, I wrote proximity because they were very close to each other. Mm -hmm. At this point, uh, we go to a new scene where George and Mary are married. Yep. They are married and... Uh, oh, at this point, the mother-in-law is crying. You know, when they're coming out of the church and everybody's throwing rice, which is so bad for the birds. I'm surprised they survived. And um, the mother-in-law is crying. They're going on their honeymoon. They're going to go to first New York and then the Bahamas, where they might have met Tommy. <laughs> and George pulls out a roll of bills because he's got the money. He's taking it in cash. Well, and, I think they only kind of, did they have traveler's checks then? No. And they drive by the bank, and they see all these people out in front, and they're going, what's going on? Oh, that can't well, be good. there's a run on the bank, because, was this a stock exchange? Um... Or was it just a run on the bank where everybody wants their it, money? No, it probably the was bank. because the, they were the class of twenty eight. So I think this is twenty nine. So it's the crash. Yeah, the crash. So everybody wants their money, and in the building alone, and in banks before banks became FDIC. So the reason that you hear that banks are FDIC um, was because people were like, "I want my money," and banks don't have money. On they don't the have hand. the money to give them because your money goes into somebody else's. So it's a, this is a it's a, George gives a great explanation of how banks and finance works <coughs> even to this day, and so people come in and they're like, oh, I need my money, like how I I want it, and George is like, look, you know, look, Dave, your money is in Sam's grocery store, and Sam's money is in. Uh, Phil's dry clean or it wasn't dry cleaning right. but well, like hardware store yeah. you know and it's just all these things and he's like you know remember when you couldn't you couldn't make your payment because it was rough and it, we floated you along because we had all of this like we don't have all of this money and so you know they're getting mad and so the guy comes in and says hey Potter is paying what was he paying 50 cents on the 50 dollar. cents on the dollar so if you had a hundred dollars in the bank Potter was like, you can come over to here I'll and give I'll 50. give you $50. Yeah. And so people were like, oh, all right. That's better than nothing because... A like, bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Yeah, because this is why banks are now federally insured because of 1929. So then Potter, he's like, wait, guys, don't go over there. Like, he's he's not bailing you out. Like He just wants to take over. And then... He says, remember, remember, Phil, you lived in a Potter shack like, you know, you paid high rent and it was a piece of crap place that you lived in. It was a shack and you hated it. And now you're in a house. You're not renting. You're in a house and you're in a house because <coughs> Dave it, it gave you basically the money. All these people here gave you the money so you could buy a house and not be in a Potter place. So then. Um, in order to save the building alone and keep it solvent, I think I think it's Mary that comes in with yes. the money. And she's like, here, we have, you know. And so then um, <coughs> George is like, all right, well, what do you need to get by? And the, the first guy up, of course, wants all of his money. And he's like, no, no, just what do you need 
to get you for through right for right now. And so he like puts it down and he's like, no, it, it's just, it's a loan. You're going to pay it back. Like, don't worry about it. And so then this woman comes up and she's like, I need $6 and 53 cents. And oh my gosh, George just kisses her. She's like, God bless you. Because this woman knew exactly what she wanted. She just needed this amount of money. She just needed enough to get through right now to be able to feed her babies. Mm -hmm. And then next week, we'll deal with next week. Yeah. So And Mary was using their honeymoon money mm -hmm. to pass out to the people who needed the money. And then others are seeing, oh, okay, I don't need to take out all the money I've put in. Just enough to get me through this week. Right. So it's just the sense of community and stuff. And they're pulling together. And just what they need to get by and survive. And then it's so that's the run on the bank. The day goes super long. And then there's a phone call and it's Mrs. Bailey. And George is like, what's my mom doing calling me? And he's like, no, it's your wife. And he's like, my wife. And then isn't then she says something like around like, well, won't you come home or something? Right. And he's like, where do we live? Where do you think they live? The old rundown mansion. She bought it probably for 50 cents. She probably bought it. This is their wedding night. So this woman, Mary saved the building and loan because she had the money from the the honeymoon. She's like, no, we're not going on the honeymoon. We're, we're doing this. We're saving it. Then somehow George is dealing with that. She goes, buys this house somehow some gets two chickens, fixes up off um gets a With fire the help going. Of Bert and Ernie. Bert the help of Bert and Ernie gets a fire going, gets the table set up, gets chickens and a record player to the record player to move the chickens on a rotisserie, set up a, a like an, a bedroom and meanwhile like this is a decrepit house. It's leaking. Yeah. Yeah, it, they're, they're it should be condemned. Two by four is holding up ceilings. Yeah. <clears throat> and then Bert and Ernie serenade them. That was a little weird. Bert and Ernie are the police officer and the cab driver, yes? Mm -hmm. Yes. A coincidence. Bert it's just and Ernie, a coincidence. Bert and Ernie for, from Sesame Street are just coincidentally Bert yeah, and Ernie. I, I, it's really odd. And it has been an hour. Mm-hmm. So, um, wow, a lot's happened in an hour, but a lot has. But so much happens in this movie. That's why it's so watchable. It's one of the, the rare movies from this era where it just boom, 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 boom. Things it just keeps keep going. Moving. Yeah. Scenes do not get like left around. It's just boom, boom, boom. This is right. also Nerd Alert. This was Frank Capra's first Hollywood film from coming back from the war and doing documentaries. Wow. So you wonder what that's also like just in the theme of the film because it's a wonderful life. Yeah. Like the greatest gift that you have is your life. Is your and life. And back, those of you who survived. And, yeah. and a lot of people came back from the war like in really bad shape. Well, yeah. because I mean, it was, PTSD we, before anybody knew what that was. And all the people who, who didn't come back. Right. And right. it's like this guy, he, you know, I mean... What it goes later, he doesn't go to the war because of his ear. Because he was deaf in one ear, he couldn't. Right. Um. I mean, I I don't feel like that should exclude someone, but because they you're gonna get deaf. It's just a whole bunch of 
like put him in the, with the airplanes and all that stuff that made everyone else go deaf. I didn't really see how that was. I was like, oh, he must have flat feet. And then they're like, no, it was because of his ear. Like his yeah, ear. It wasn't bone spurs, though. We are two nerd alerts. So, Aaron, go with your nerd alerts. All right, my nerd alerts. Okay, Mr. Gower. He was named Mr. Gower because the studio Columbia at the time was on Gower Street in L.A. And the, there was a drugstore, Gower Drugstore, and that's where all the studio people would go to. And Ma, you've been there because Gower Street, whenever I think of Gower, what do, I, what do you think of? Do you know it's on Gower Street? No, you don't, obviously, by the silence. <laughs> Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. No, it's not on yes, Gower Street. Yes, it's on Gower Street. And you know how on that there's always that, um, I forget what, I don't know what it is now. It might be... Well, there's a studio on Gower Street. It's not Columbia anymore because Columbia moved. But that's where Columbia used to be. And so that's okay. why he was named Gower. Oh, okay. Because every time they're like Mr. Gower from moving to L.A., every time I see Gower, I think Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Uncle, what was it, Uncle Billy his name? Yeah, Uncle Billy. He had a pet, Raven. And that raven is pretty damn famous. His name is Jimmy the Raven. He was Uncle Billy's pet. He was also in You Can't Take It With You. And after that, each subsequent Capra film. Really? He's also the crow that lands on the scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz. <gasps> he could do any task that you would want an eight-year-old child to do. <gasps> Jimmy Stewart said, quote, he was the smartest actor on the set. Wow. The Ravens seldom live to be past 30 years in captivity. He lived oh. 60 years. Whoa. Talk about just a, one of those things where it's like this, this being was meant to do what they did. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. He's an a old freaking bunch bird. Of Jimmy the Raven. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. R Russell Sherman, or Shaman, he developed a compound of water, soap go, flakes, fomite, which I'm sure causes cancer. I didn't look up what fomite is, but fomite I'm like... Fomite has to be some kind of plastic. I'm like... Or, I'm, like styrofoam. Yeah, I'm sure it's something that has not aged well. No. And sugar... To create the snow because it, up until then, snow in movies was from untoasted cornflakes, but painted white. But when you they were too loud for stepping on them. Exactly. So that's why this because the snow crazy. in this movie, it, you know that it's fake. But it's, there's just something beautiful about it. It's different from the snow you've seen before. Mm -hmm. Cornflakes painted white? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, The that Tonkin guy, Dimitri, the guy that was the composer. Yeah. He wrote a, quote, death telegram, like did medley or song, and a Gower's Deliverance song for those scenes. And Capra ended up not using music for it. There's a lot of this movie where there's not like a score. So in that early scene where 
little George reads the telegram and finds out that Gower's son had died. Right. There was music that was composed for that, but there was also there was so much sense of what could be considered sentimentality mm-hmm. that a score would make it really schmaltzy. And yeah. so I I really liked how it, Capra was like, no, we don't doesn't we don't need music. It doesn't need that. Yeah, but this guy that didn't sit too well with him, and so they had a falling out. I'm sure they did because yeah. he composed music for that. Right. And Capra no, was like, that. no, the telegram saying that the guy's son is dead and he's, you know, upset about it. We got the emotion. Yeah. What more do we need? Yeah. And so I thought that because, you know, as I mentioned before, it's very few times I've seen the beginning of the film. So I forgot that we did meet Clarence at the beginning, but he's more of a star, like a celestial being. Right. And I thought that was interesting because, yeah, he's a guardian angel, but it really, the movie isn't really, in my opinion, overtly religious. Like, the only no. religious thing is it's a, a guardian angel, but that isn't really, that's like a couple of layers of religion, you know? Yeah. And that that scene was just the flickering stars talking. I thought that that was pretty interesting. Um, yeah, you could make of it what you wanted. You could say it was God talking to the angels, or you could say it was an, an a celestial being talking to another celestial right. being. Because remember in Heaven Can Wait how it was the devil, but we saw the scene with the devil talking. It was that opening scene, and you're like, right. "Oh, that's the devil," and it was personified and stuff. But I thought this was I thought this was great, and so I came across a thing where. Um, he didn't want to force overly uh, an overtly religious tone because he felt that it undermined the impact of family and friends. But then there, I also read things where he said that it was where Capra said that it was um, that parts of it were sort of a reactionism to atheism. Atheism. What is it? you know what I'm Athe- saying? The Atheism. Yeah, atheism. So I thought that it was very interesting how that on one hand, you know, there was the atheism and they wanted to counteract that. So it is the guardian angel and stuff, but it wasn't overtly religious. There weren't denominations. Because sometimes that can get really gaggy. Yeah. So I I just thought that I think that's why it endures so much as being so thoroughly modern because I'm not one who is super into religion like spirituality and stuff that's cool but especially organized religion and and that kind of thing being forced down people's throat of it's this and this 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 so i like that it was it was these stars and these celestial beings and Mm -hmm. you could like put into it as much or as as little as you want exactly exactly it was up to you but you still would get the emotional impact of humanity. Yes. All right. Um, we already did that. We already did that. It was a okay. So this movie, when it came out, it came out at Christmas time, not because it was a Christmas movie, but because they wanted the Oscar buzz, and it wasn't a big success upon its release. Um, you know, it kind of came and went, but it wasn't until. Christmas of 1976 that it started getting played 
and then it took kind of took off from there and capra was like i never thought of it as a christmas film and he was delighted really? by it he was just like this is great that people think it's a christmas film and it's been rediscovered and stuff wow and yeah he was just like i just really like the story and i could see that coming back from the war and he gets this story and he reads it and he's just like, yeah, there's just something there. Because, yeah. you, know, you know, of all just the carnage that he saw and all, you know, just the stories and all of that of this guy who's just he's like, that's it. I'm checking out. I'm, I want out this game. And then he sees what the life would have been like if he had never been born. And then the whole mm-hmm. community coming in to save him because he had always saved the community. Right. And then he's like, yeah, it's a, he's like, this is fantastic, though, that people think of it as a Christmas movie. I love it. Um, That's funny. Okay. So then the whole stuff about, like, the bank. Again, I already mentioned, like, the article. But in the article, they mentioned this case, the Abacus case. And I think it was in 2015. It was a small bank in Chinatown, New York. And it would lend to members of the community based on character and ties to the community, like the Bailey business and loan and stuff. Well, they were investigated and charged with mortgage fraud and they were found not guilty. But the prosecutor said that it was a bank and not a community service organization. So basically in this movie, everything that, that the Bailey building alone is doing in today could be considered mortgage fraud. Oh. And that's just how weird and bizarre. Again, it's like what the it's a great article to read because all the questions that it's asking are still the questions that get asked today. Who are banks for? What oh. is their purpose? Well, I know that my grandfather's building and loan is gone. It's not it, it was absorbed by a a yeah, bank because it's easy everybody knows it. if you already have money it's easy to get a loan right but the banks, purpose of the building alone was to help the people who didn't have the money who right. didn't have that resource right and so then this bank it was a small bank in chinatown and it was you know show us who you are your characteristics and your ties to the community and if you were just starting out, then they would be like, okay, here's your track record. If there's people in the community who vouch for you. You have, you're, do, you're trying to do this, this, and this. Here you go. Here's the money. And they're like, that's mortgage fraud. Wow. Yeah. And I think the reason that they were found not guilty is that they were too small. Like oh, the, you know, yeah. that that's what ended up saving them was that they yeah. were too, they were a thing that it was too small, but it was basically and look at the good that it was helping of the community exactly. and to be punished by it. Yeah. S- still, this movie was made in 1946. Yep. Wow. Those are my nerd alerts. Okay, listeners, thank you for listening to us. We're two reheatables. So I always start with my negatives and my first negative has to be because I am drinking gin at the moment, (laughs) gin at a high school graduation. Oh, I thought it was going to be the gin slander. (laughs) Uh, 
And, you know, on that phone call with the sexual tension, he got pretty aggressive with Mary. I mean, he was rough with her. Ooh, the, he Mary was ruining his life. <laughs> it's, he, he had a lot of frustration. My, my other <laughs> reheatable is, okay, so I had to look it up. What is it called from, like, uh, a man's pant measurement from his waist to his crotch. Is it the, it's not the in, is it the inseam? It's not the inseam. It is the front rise measurement. Oh. And his pants have to have the highest front rise measurement of anybody in history. Well, he always did that. That was his style. My God. That's, I don't understand why you're, you're putting that as a bad reheatable. Cause that's how you dressed me every day of my life when you were allowed to. <laughs> Just, just right up to where my boobs were. Did where not my have went. the front rise measurement of a Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. Hold on. My, you look you, so cute with your shirt tucked in. You pulled my pants all the way up to right where my boobs to, were. She would go to the bathroom <laughs> and she would pull her, her shorts up, but they would be sideways. Yes. Do you know why? Because I was in a hurry. I know you were. You were in a hurry to get back outside to play with your friends. I had to go play. Instead of onto electronics. <laughs> Thank you. I had to go play or I, I was probably in a public restroom and, you know, you know, it's a little girl and stuff. If you're in a public restroom, it's like, get in and get out. Get in and get out. So, yeah, <laughs> there, was, there was no time to dilly-dally. At one point, somebody calls the people of... Italian persuasion garlic eaters. Well, Frank Capra himself was Italian, so he was very Italian, actually. Okay, being a teacher, a former teacher, and where? Why is it Italians? Like I just ate a bomb mean sandwich, and there was plenty of garlic on that bad boy. Well, they the, those lovely people had not yet brightened our shores <laughs> uh when jimmy stewart yells at that teacher oh. for not for not zipping zulu's coat because she didn't want to crush her flowers no she the teacher told her zip your coat zulu you need to zip your coat if they don't zip their coat there's nothing more you can do you're not allowed to lay hands on them yeah, Can't well, touch him. in 1946, they could lay hands on him, and that wasn't about that. That was a, the teacher was collateral damage. He was I mad know, about everything else. But the teacher else. is always collateral damage. Yeah, that's called being a teacher. Okay, that, my last. That's why there business. aren't that many of them anymore. Exactly, and going to be fewer and fewer, fewer and fewer. Um, in the in the alternative universe where George has not been a part of the community where Mary becomes an air quotation old maid. I and know. of course she has on the air quotation glasses. And the weird hair. And Come look on. at look at all, you know what? She had a very much Adrian vibe going on. I was like, oh, True. look at Donna Reed. So, oh, you mean to tell me that she's just going to do that and then marry a boxer? I yeah. see. 
And she probably would have because God forbid she'd be an old maid. She'd marry the dregs of the dregs before she'd become an old maid. I don't think, well, in the story, she doesn't, she isn't an old maid. In the short story that it's based on, she marries a, a, like another guy. Sam Wainwright? No, not Sam Wainwright. Mm -hmm. A lot of the names are changed because it's, okay. it's George Pratt. It's not George Bailey. Okay, those are my negative or hateable. Okay, my negative was uh, Mr. Gower beating on a child, making his ear bleed. Oh. That yeah, there that was, was that. That was tough. As well as doing the poison thing. Yeah, but that was in grief of his son being dead. Oh, well, thank God there was George, so another family didn't have to go yeah, through Yeah, that's grief. why it's such a bad reheatable that he got beat. Okay, move on. Classic beatings. Always beating first and asking questions later. Yes. Um, okay. The good old days. If George was never born, so then it's like, oh yeah, Harry died because you weren't there to save him. But Harry wouldn't have been Harry if George was never born. Wouldn't Harry have been George? Ouch. Right? Because isn't that how names go? Like if you know, like y you pick out a name, and George was obviously yeah, but, their, but their truth favorite be told, name. No, wait, because he wasn't a junior, so people pick out different names with different children inside them. People pick out different names, but people agree on only a very few names. That's why you're not Muriel at this moment. Yeah, there's like, there's yeah. names, like you could pick out, you could have like, oh, I feel like it's this and this. Sebastian. Yeah, and then the, you know, the other person says, no. So you have, because you have famously said that you had two names that you agreed on. Yes. Aaron and Adam. Yes. So if I had not been born... No, you were first. So I know. If you had, okay, if you had not been born, well, I don't know. My my if I if I had changed. not been born and but see because they're two boys, so put it in two boys. Okay, so I would have had to come up with a whole different name because the first one would have been Adam. Yeah, but Adam, if okay, it's two boys, right? So the first one would have been Adam. She's so I would have been people. Adam. Right? But if I Possibly. wasn't born, then he, then Adam would have been Adam because that was the name. Maybe. I don't know. We might have, I don't know. You, you can't, you can't go back. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I just thought that I was like, I don't think, I don't think he would have been Harry. Wouldn't he have been George? Possibly. But possibly mom would have awoken one morning as she's throwing up her breakfast and saying, I don't want it to be George. I want him to be Harry. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> Adam is Sebastian now. So <laughs> I, I don't know. You, you, you know more about it. You're the expert. That's just my opinion. I don't know. I can ju only say... I don't know on that. Move on. Mr. Rob Mr. Potter totally gets away with a robbery 
unpunished. Yes. Just steals the money. Doesn't say anything. Rich people always do. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, I already mentioned it, how George Bailey, he's going away for mortgage fraud. Yeah. (laughs) Apparently. And then I already mentioned it, too. Harry not telling his brother that he got married. Nobody didn't tell his mother, I'm coming home with a wife? Uh, What? Excuse me? You can't shut up about me, but you're just like, oh, I'm married. Here you go. So those were my negative reheatables. Okay, my positives. Continues to be, always will be, the pool under the gym floor. Me too. That was the first thing I wrote down. Brilliant. A positive, a building and loan because I don't know if I mentioned it or not, but my grandfather was part of the the beginning of one. A positive, <laughs> and possibly the end of one. <laughs> possibly, uh, George's speech. Well, both of his speeches. A positive. Oh, Bailey Park. The 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 fact that because of the building and loan. These people of lower incomes could have a home, a home that they could invest in, as well as the community. And my final one with a star is the husband, who happens to be in the bar where George Bailey is, (laughs) defending his working wife for doing the best she can do with the 28 little snot noses that she's got every day in that class. Can't, but I would just like to point out that it's Christmas Eve and her husband is at the bar. <laughs> because she's home crying. Because he had to get out of the house. Because <laughs> his wife wouldn't stop crying. So he's like, I'm going to the bar. It's Christmas exactly. Eve. Exactly. Oh, and you're the reason that I'm at a bar on Christmas Eve, George Bailey. Why don't you taste my fist? Because my your child wouldn't button her freaking coat. And what kind of a name is Zuzu? I actually kind of like that name. And That's a good don't, reheatable. You don't hear it. You should hear it. All these Bellas we have around here. All these Zoes. No Zuzu? And you shouldn't. You don't catch a cold from having a coat open. No, you, catch a, you catch a cold from the drafty-ass <laughs> house. That... You catch a cold from the little snot noses that are in the classroom, hence my cough at this moment. Yeah, thank you. Your positives. All right, we said the gym pool, the young George Bailey. He was adorbs. Very smitten with young George Bailey. (laughs) The whole banking and also greed. Yeah. Bert and Ernie, even though they're coincidences, I didn't know it at the time. I was like, it's Bert and Ernie. I know. Who who would have ever? Come on. Yes. They were in somebody's mind. The cinematography and the editing. Magnifique. Magnifique. Um, I already mentioned it like with Joseph and Clarence and the other thing, the celestial stars. They're not people. Right. Nick. When he's just giving out wings because he's with the cash register after they they're like, oh, every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. And he's just like, look, fellas, I'm giving out wings. And he's just making the (laughs) bells go. Oh, that kills me every time. (laughs) And then um, Mary, when she was throwing the rock at the house. Yes, so they that was hi- a tasty nugget. Yeah, of they hired a, a sharpshooter, 
And it turns out like Donna Reed just did it herself because she played baseball in high school. Which she is, broke the window without the sharpshooter needed. This is very interesting because I watched a real sports segment on baseball and it was very interesting because girls used to play actually baseball and then some real shady shenanigans happened and that's when like it was like no you can play softball but like mm. girls still can't play and girls are like but it's two different sports i want to play baseball right. right yeah so if you ever feel like your outrage is kind of tampering down and you need something else to get riled up about look into that women in baseball great yeah make you feel great um and then i guess also it's not a reheatable but i think it's just something that actually it is a good reheatable mary she had four kids she totally redid that old house herself Mm -hmm. except for that thing on the banister Uh, oh excuse me super glue she's got four kids that she's raising do making insulating this entire house and also during the war running the uso i was like no wonder after four kids she has that waste doing all that come on because i was like wow and that skin Mm -hmm. and just really it's really mary who i mean She's the hero behind yeah. the whole thing. She's the one that, that that was like, here, George, do do this. No, we're gonna stay here. Have this. Right. No, right. it's the I fixed the whole thing. Oh, right. And George I've is taken like, oh, care of it, George. Come here and and melt into me because you're so disappointed. Yeah. I was like, damn. And she's got an arm. She's like, I could have played baseball. Damn it. I went to college. I'm better than Bedford Falls. <laughs> and then Mary leaves. Maybe that's what the sequel is. It's ah. a, and then the, not the sequel, but the remake is that it's not George Bailey. It's really Mary being fed up with the four kids and the, the husband who's just constantly disappointed and stuff. And she's like, and Zuzu. <laughs> I didn't want to name her Zuzu. That was your idea, George. <laughs> okay, MVPs. I think I just did my MVP. It's Mary. <laughs> yeah, you did. My MVP was the pool under the gym floor. Yeah, that was cool. Recasting. Okay. okay I started, I, I did start too, but I couldn't come up with an Uncle Billy for my, for this one. Oh, I never this did one has, okay, so I needed George, you know, just every man, the most likable person in Hollywood. He's got to be so likable. You have to. That has to. That's the number one thing is a likability because you and you have to believe that other people like him. And because there's a quote from Capra that said that the hardest thing to play is the good Sam who doesn't know he's a good Sam. Right. So my first cast, I have Matt Damon. That's pretty good. Yeah. And then Mary, of course, you have said. I mean, she's the the heart of the whole movie. She has to be hard and she has to be soft. So, of course, I went with Emma Stone. Now, yeah. I couldn't come up with an Uncle Billy for that one. Oh, I didn't even cast Uncle Billy. Like Uncle Billy, the. But my. He, he, Mr. He, uh, Billy William H. Macy. Yes. Yeah, he's really good at being drunk. Mm-hmm. And my Potter, I have Denzel. He could be an evil, nasty Potter. Oh, yeah. 
Now, my other cast. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. So George is Lakeith Stanfield. Stanfield? Yeah, Stanfield. Mm, Stanfield. Nice. Because he can be so likable. He would be a great George. Wouldn't he? And I know you're not going to like this, but my Mary is Yara Shahidi. From Blackish. Yeah, from Blackish and Youngish. Yeah. Because she could do that. Okay, so my Uncle Billy for that one is Craig Robinson. That's pretty good. Yeah, I know. And my Harry Potter for that one is Jeffrey Wright. Your Harry Potter or your... No, 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 no. (laughs) My Mr. Potter. Ah, that's a good one, Jeffrey Wright. Yeah, because he could be really good at that. Thank you. I'm very happy with it. Okay. My first recasting is George. It's got to be somebody that, again, you just just want to watch. You're just all in and you want to watch whatever they do. So George Bailey... I'm ca- you know what? And in this cast, in both of my cast, I'm going. I'm skewing a little older. I'm skewing a little older so that there's more of that life, more okay. of that real life sort of. Well, he was 35. In. He was 38. So there you go. I'm seeping in. My George is Eddie Murphy. Mm. My Mary. My Mary is Kerry Washington. Yeah, she could totally do Mary. And then my Clarence. <gasps> I didn't have Clarence on my phone. Is Von D. Curtis Hall. Tell me more. Well, he's been in so many things, but you'll know him. from He was the minister in Harriet. That guy. Oh, yes. yes he's just yes, been in yes. so many things. Yes. How did I not have a Clarence in either cast? I don't know. I didn't have like a Potter in any of my cast. So I'm just like, uh, I guess maybe Denzel Washington is my potter in this Here one. Here you go. He could do evil. Yeah. Or mm, I'm changing it. Audible, my potter is Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, he could do it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Then I did a okay. gender reversal. From, <gasps> Yay. I did okay. Georgia Bailey. Because this is all. Is it who's very likable? But then like who you believe. And I'm just like, man, Charlize. Charlize is my Georgia Bailey. What could she not do? I know. Yeah. We'd have to ugly her up a touch. Just a uh, touch. No, because... Uh, what, everyday makeup. Every day. Yeah. The, yeah. Okay. And that'll okay. still be, like, way fine. My... I call him Marty. <laughs> my Marty Bailey is... I went with Taryn Edgerton. Because I felt like it needed to be someone who was just a nice guy. But they couldn't have been too... Because at first I was going to go with Chris Hemsworth. But then I thought, why would Chris Hemsworth have like stayed in Bedford Falls? Bedford Falls, So okay. it needed to be somebody who was... An, I was going for an everyday attractiveness, but then also with Charlize. So it needed to be somebody who was... You know, they, that she would look at and be like, whoa, yeah. who is he? Yeah, you need to up that game up touch. So... so Introduce me to this person. He was um, Elton John, in the Elton oh, yeah. John. Oh yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. You know? Like not like oh va va boom, but like a, a track. Like you would be like, oh, who is this in a small town? And Georgette would be attracted to his heart. Yes, more than exactly. His. Yes. And okay. also because he had to be able to play nice. Yes. And he also had to be, um, like that Principal. he wouldn't know. 
that he could play that he didn't know that he was as good looking as maybe he is. Oh, yes. You know, okay. if he's being yes. small town. Okay. Which then my Clarence, I was just like, well, <laughs> it's Olivia Coleman. Oh, God, I love Olivia. She would be a great Clarence. She would be, no matter what cast we have, Olivia Coleman should be Clarence. Yeah, just just make Olivia Coleman. She's Clarence. She would be so great as just yes. the the. And why did it take Clarence two hundred years? Also, why did George Bailey get a second rate angel? Kind of, I. Why did he get like whoa, whoa, the whoa, top whoa, of the whoa, game? Whoa, 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 is it is it because it's Bedford Falls? Hmm. So there you have it. Well done. Tasty nuggets. I have oh, we, we didn't that. do the POC count. Oh, yeah. There was three because there was Annie, there was the porter. And then at the very end, in the last scene, I yes. spotted a black guy in the very back. Yes. When I saw the, that all the town too. was coming in. So I'm like, yes. there's three pe- there's three black people in Bedford Falls. OK, well, this pool really does exist. Beverly Hills High School. Beverly Hills High School. Who knew? Now, there's a place where um, George is saying goodbye to Uncle Billy. He's leaving the Bailey house and he's walking down the street. You hear him bump into a bunch of trash cans. Mm-hmm. He That wasn't scripted. He actually did bump into a bunch of... Uh, no, he bumped into a, um, a crew equipment. person, dropped a tray of, of props, and Capper goes, go with it. Say, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Which I thought was funny. Mm-hmm. And the sound guy got an extra 10 bucks from Capra. Now, that f- that telephone call where there was sexual tension, mm-hmm. there was a part in it where they had to cut part of it because it was too passionate to pass the censors. Well, that's interesting. That's what I thought. We talked about the new film, Snow. This is the number one most inspirational film of all time. Yeah. I mean, it is because it's, it's like the greatest gift that you have is your life. So, you know. Um, It was a flop when it first came out. Well, I don't know if they, but, but not, not the received movie we know today. They originally cast Cary Grant to be George. Well, he wasn't cast to be George. See, so the the um the author guy with the the short story that it was based on, he got rejected from a bunch of places. Nobody would publish it, so he ended up printing it out and sending it to two hundred of his friends and family. And Cary Grant got his hands on it, and he liked it, so he went to RKO. And RKO was developing it with him as the lead. But then RKO shelved it. And then uh-huh. the studio chief told Capra, like, here, read this. Oh, because and then um, Cary Grant ended up going to make The Bishop's Wife instead. That oh, Christmas okay. movie. And then the RKO chief was like, here, Capra, read this. And then Capra said, well, this is fantastic. This is what I'm going to do. And so then he bought it from RKO for $10,000. Although Capra says it was $50,000, so I don't know the exact amount. And that 
three other drafts because that Dalton Trumbo guy, he was blacklisted and some other writers, they had already taken stabs at writing different drafts. And so they RKO threw in all those drafts as well. Interesting that Bishop's wife, Carrie Grant, then became Preacher's wife, Denzel Washington, who I cast in my recap. That is true. But when Capra read it, he knew there was only one person to play it. Yeah. And he had already worked with Jimmy Stewart on You Can't Take It With You and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. True. So it was just like, and he gave it to like Jimmy uh, Stewart's reps, his people. And he's like, oh, you know, I just want to tell him about it. And the guy's like, he'll play it. We don't even don't you don't even need to pitch it. He's in. Henry Fonda was considered to be George. Well, they were best friends, but then he was cast in My Darling Clementine. Okay. Well, during the filming of this film, 42 times a bell rings. Hmm. So 42 angels got their wings through the filming of this film. Well, Nick was just passing them out. <sighs> That's the end of my tasty nuggets. Um... So we already did about how the husband and team, husband and wife team wrote it, and there was a dispute, and the Writers Guild of America were the ones that uh, that said that Hackett and Goodrich got credit with Capra, and then the additional scenes were by the other guy, the Joe Swirling guy. Seneca Falls claims to be Bedford Falls because that Capra visited in 1945, but historians have found no proof of that to exist, so they can't say either way. Then I say poo-poo. Well, but Seneca Falls is like, that means you can't say, you can't prove we are. So they have a museum and they have a festival. It said, like the author of the story says that it's Winchester County. It's Califan, New Jersey is the actual place that inspired it. Hmm. Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed were both from small towns. Yes, Donna Reed, Iowa. Yeah, Denison, Iowa. Um So for the role for the role that Donna Reed was played in, remember Jean Arthur? She was in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and we were like, yes. Why wasn't she a bigger deal? Yeah. She was gonna be in this. But she had a Broadway commitment. So she wasn't. And I'm like, somebody else passed on it. And well, they were Olivia like, de Havilland was considered. Yes, that's who it was. Martha Scott and Dvorak. And then Ginger Rogers said, nah, it's too bland. Which, well, there was no dancing. And the part, like Mary's part is pretty bland. Yeah, oh. but I feel like Donna Reed brought it up. She did. She was really good. Because she had that sort of... Um, like strength to her. Yes. There was just a, a reserve. But I, I do wonder what it would have been like with Jean Arthur. Cause she was so no nonsense and pretty funny. Yeah. That it yeah. would have been a very different. Like, well, it why don't you different. go ahead and go ahead, George Bailey. Yeah. I don't need you anyway. Yeah. Um, kiss me. God damn it. It was filmed in Culver city and also in Encino. From April 15th, 1946 to July 27th, 1946. I heard it was really hot. Yeah. I just said that it was filmed April through July in the <laughs> valley. <laughs> yeah. 
all those yeah. snow scenes because the exterior all that exterior of bedford falls that's in encino they they there was a ranch it wasn't just the what it is now it was a ranch and they built everything and so they were running around from may <laughs> to july just sweating then the encino ranch um that whole set it was ra- raised in 1954 because they're like we got to put housing in here to oh, sweet okay. i don't know if it was but just saying um the martini home that was in La Cunada, Flint Ridge. So that's... I don't know if it still exists because it probably got burned down in one of the many fires of that area. Uh-huh. I don't know for sure. I'm just saying. When I hear La Cunada, Flint Ridge, I think fire season. Ah. Um. We already said how he really slapped his ear. And then I was like, yeah, that was really alfalfa. There are my tasty yes. nuggets. Well, the awards, it was nominated for Oscars for Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Director, Best Sound Editing, Best Film Editing. And the nominees were, um, it was an honor to be nominated. The nominees were, it was an honor to be nominated? Because they did not win. Oh, clever. That was too clever for me, Ma. 1947, the winner was The Best Years of Our Lives for the picture. Frederick March won for The Best Years of Our Lives. Olivia de Havilland won for To Each His Own. But it did win the Golden Globe for Best Director. Oh. So Donna Reed wasn't even nominated. No. Um, so yeah, those were the, it was ahead of its time. Like that thing when, when it it goes to, it cuts to George Bailey and he's Jimmy Stewart and he's in, it does a freeze frame Mm -hmm. like that. That's a, that's, I mean, they use that now. Yeah. It was ahead of its time for just how fast it moves. All it kind of reminded me in a way of citizen Kane of how, you know, it was just like moving and stuff. Yeah. But it's, I think it's so much more rewarding more of a rewatchable than Citizen Kane. Now, my sister hates this film. And I don't know why. I will ask her when she comes at Thanksgiving. Interesting. I have to admit that I got... There was someone cutting an onion in the kitchen at the end of it. I really teared up. And I've seen the end a gazillion times. But it it still got to me. I teared. That was probably the third time I teared up. I teared up with the with the beating of George Bailey. Yeah. And I teared up when he saved the when they saved the building loan by saying like it's you it's in there and what and when he kissed the woman because she just wanted that amount of money. I was like, I nobody know. look at me. And I then know. you the, want six dollars and seventy five cents here. You go, you sweet thing. And then at the end, when all the people come together and give him the money, and yeah. then I was thinking like, man, there's you know Frank Capper. He was a Republican, and I'm I'm just like this is a whole lot of like. Regular people all pitching in to help right. everyone. Sounds very democratic to me. Yeah, almost on like a bit socialist. I mean, Ooh, ouch, ouch. I don't mean it, and I just mean it in. 
in yes. like just the strictest way of it's just that everybody pooling and helping each other everyone exactly. paying their fair share hmm. it's kind of Ooh. interesting wow. yeah. so i i kind of wondered what he would think of the time and then how oh my gosh the probably the most it's not the best reheatable but it, like with the whole banking fantasy of everything how we are living in potterville like on one hand yeah. when they went to potterville it was that does seem way more interesting than bedford falls it does seem a lot funner <laughs> but then you know just the well crappy, for the one percent well, I mean, the, the working people had, you know, like, there was the dance clubs and lots of more bars and stuff. There was a lot of prostitution. Yeah. Violet was doing well. But then, um, you know, just just, li- just the landlords and just the, the whole Potter thing. I'm like, wow. wow. They just predicted yeah. America. There it is. Yeah. We're all living in Potterville. Yeah. For, for better or for worse. Well, okay, so Megan, I hope you're her- you're herpy. I hope you're herpy with this week's episode. Next week, guy, guy. All right, next week we are doing. I've never seen this movie. Ooh. It's on Apple, iTunes. I've heard about it. I've never watched it. Uh oh. Nineteen thirty-four. Oh, God, This I think there are going to be problems. Maybe, but it all falls under comedy in this one. Okay. March of the Wooden Soldiers, a.k.a. Babies in Toyland. It's Laurel and Hardy. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And it's called March of the Wooden Soldiers. Mm-hmm. And I can get it on iTunes. I checked. Oh, BTW, you can't... Oh, we already talked about it. You can see It's a Wonderful Life. Probably just check your local listings right now through Christmas. It'll be on. Oh, yeah. When I tried the Amazon Fire Stick, it it kept was like opening in NBC. And I was like, no, no. I want it on Prime. Right. We got it on Prime because we got it for free for our $100 of Prime. But, yeah. I mean, it's it's showing everywhere. So I have not heard of March of the Wooden Soldiers. I heard it because my friend Evan, I remember him ta- always talk like that was one of his Christmas movies that he always watched. Oh, cool. But then I okay. forgot about because I was just looking for classic Christmas movies. And I saw and I was like, oh, I don't think we've done a Laurel. Have we done Laurel and Hardy? We did a uh, Groucho Marx, like a Marx Brothers. We did. I don't think we've done Laurel and Hardy. Maybe we have. True. I don't know. True that. And I don't think it's it's that long. That is even a plus. And maybe my dad will watch it with you. But I don't know if he's a Laurel and Hardy guy. He might. I'll have to check and we'll get back with you next Next week. Oh, man. Now I wonder how problematic it's going to be. That will be interesting. Because I'm looking up classic movies and it's always... and Because I was like, White Christmas always comes up and I'm like, too soon. Still too soon. Yeah. Still too soon, White Christmas. I'm sorry. (laughs) 
And then the Not next like one. Not White Christmas, Holiday Inn. No, Holiday because Inn. because of Holiday Inn. That's why I'm like, too soon, White Christmas. Still uh, too yeah, that, soon. That caused us to watch Holiday Inn, which, ouch. Okay. So, March of the Wooden Soldiers next week. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Gone with the Bushes. And see you next week. Well, there you go. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>